Well, hey, everybody. Thank you, thank you again for joining us online. My name is Nick Schatz. I'm one of the pastors here and excited to open up God's Word with you. We're going to be in Colossians 3 today, so if you'd like to turn there, you can. Otherwise, I will put the words up on the screen. Uh, and it's hard to read this close. I'm going to read from here while you read the back screen there or your own copy of the Bible. So Colossians 3, and we're starting in verse 5. And he writes, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Take special note of that language of old self and new self. We're going to come back to that quite a bit. You've taken off the old self and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So that's Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11. Now, as I walked through this passage, it reminded me of a book that I recently read. Uh, I read this earlier this, uh, sorry, last month. It's, it's June now. So I read Paralandra by C.S. Lewis. And basically the plot of it is there's this uh, man, the main character, his name is Ransom. He ends up going to this new planet called Paralandra. And Paralandra is, is very similar to Earth in different ways. I mean, you can tell it, it has land and water. It has uh, trees and vegetation. Uh, there's there's other creatures. Some of the creatures are uh, intelligent, uh, just like on Earth, you know, monkeys and apes and things. And some of the creatures are not intelligent. They're they're very simple creatures. There's there's night and day, and 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 there's different seasons. This planet goes around the sun just like Earth does. So it's it's very similar to the Earth. But there's one major thing that is different from Earth, uh, in contrast with Paralandra. The way that we would describe Paralandra is it's a land of paradise. And so the things that we're accustomed to here on Earth are, are not the case in Paralandra. So the main character, for instance, he comes and encounters these different creatures. They're similar to earthling, earthly creatures, but, but they're also very different. So he encounters dragons, as you can see on the front cover of this edition of Paralandra. But uh, the dragons aren't dangerous. They're, uh, they're not fearful of you, and there's no need for you to be fearful of them. And in fact, in some ways, they act kind of like puppies. They, they want to frolic and play and, and uh, rub up against you and be petted and... Uh, talk to and, and that sort of thing. Uh, he encounters uh, fish that uh, aren't scared of you. you. There's no need to, to hunt for them or to throw hooks in the water. Instead, he can jump on the back of a fish and it'll take him wherever he needs to go. Uh, there's fruit on trees, but uh, the, the, the way that he describes taste is very different. He can't describe th this fruit as bitter or sweet or sour because those those words don't quite encapture the how great this fruit tastes. And every bite that you take is better than the bit the bite you took before. Uh, when you finish one piece of fruit, you're fully satisfied and don't need any more. Uh, the way that he describes uh, rest, he lays down to rest at night and he's he doesn't wake up with aches or pains or tired. He wakes up uh, fully rejuvenated. His, he notices that whenever he gets banged up or hits something, gets a scrape, he, he gets bruises, that he heals very quickly. He goes to bed and then wakes up and it's, it's almost completely gone. Reminds me of my 20s. And so he, he describes this as, as this land of, of paradise. But the interesting thing in the book is when he encounters a, a being similar to humanity. He encounters what looks like a human female, except her skin is all green. And so he uh, just refers to her as the green lady. 
And as he begins to talk to this green lady, she has, she has a lot of questions about what life is like on Earth because she's, she's never been there. She's only been on Perilandra. And as he begins to describe Earth, this lady becomes very confused as he talks about uh, the bad things that happen on Earth and the bad things that people do and the bad ways that people treat one another and they treat the rest of creation. And so, he, for instance, he talks about death. And the green lady has no concept for death. She has no category for death. So she begins to ask him, you know, what is death like? And how does something die? And, and, and she eventually says, well, I, I'd kind of like to, to die as well because it sounds like a, a really nice restful way and, and you, you die and then you come back. And he, no, no, that's not how death, that's not what death is. And so he, he has a hard time describing death because she's never experienced or seen or she has no category for what death means. He goes on to describe things that are bad or wrong or, or, or evil sinful and, and she's, she's never heard these words before she has no category for that what what is evil what is wrong she, she she has no way of understanding what he is saying and so as he begins to describe more and more what the people and life is like for people on earth uh, she in, invents her own way of describing those people and she says you know i think the people on your earth are bent people they're bent that's the best way that she can describe uh you know, the shortcomings and the flaws and the imperfections and the sins and, and, and the ways in which humans interact. They're bent. The way that they think is, is bent. The way that the things that they desire is they are bent desires. Uh, the way that they treat one another is bent. The way that they treat the other creatures on the planet is bent. The way that they treat creation as a whole is, is bent. Everything about them is, is just something that's not quite right. It's It's bent. And that's the theme that goes through the rest of the book as she begins to learn more about Earth, and he begins to learn more about her and her species of people that is not bent at all, but they are fully whole. They are also living in paradise. Now, this reminds me of Colossians because here's kind of the theme that I want us to pick up on that I'm going to elaborate more. We, you and I, we are a bent people. And what we're going to see is that if we continue to bend, we will eventually break. We are a bent people, and... If we keep bending, we will eventually break. You see, after meeting the green, the green lady, this main character in Perilandra, for the first time he is, he is realizing just how bent he actually is. And before I'm, that, I'm sure that he knew that he had flaws. I'm sure he knew that he had imperfections. I'm sure he knew that he had shortcomings. But now that he's confronted by someone who is so naive about sin and evil and, and wrongdoing, someone that doesn't have categories to describe this, he realizes just how bent he really is. And that's what I want for us to realize today. And what we're going to do is really build on what George talked about last week. See, he taught from the first four verses of Colossians 3, which talks about us, uh, when we become a Christian, we become a new creation, a, a, a new person. We, we are now hidden in Christ. And so he described what that meant. And what we're going to look at this week and next week it's sort of step one and step two of what it means to be hidden in Christ. Step one and step two of what it means to be shaped into this new person. Getting rid of our old self and putting on our new self. Uh, this, is, this is how George described it. He said, Nick, you get to be bad cop, and next week I get to be good cop. Because this week I'm going to talk about putting off our old self, and next week he's going to get to talk about the good part, you know, putting on our new self. But uh, alas, this is what we have to do today. And what I want you to really pick up on, and I can't say this in a succinct way. I just have to, I just have to walk us through it, is that... When you and I, when, when you made a decision to follow Jesus, you didn't just make one decision. You actually made a series of decisions. And a, de a series of decisions is actually forming new habits. And forming new habits is actually shaping me into a new person, a new self, 
to use the language that comes up in Colossians 3. And shaping a new self means that I'm shaping a new identity. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming this person that is hidden in Christ, deeply influenced by Christ, uh, uh, guided by the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm becoming a new self. So that decision to follow Jesus was not one decision. It was actually a lifelong series of decisions that shapes you from being a bent person to being your new self hidden in Christ. Okay, So today let's talk about step one. And I'm going to go back to these verses. We'll come back and read those in just again. So I, what I believe is happening here is the guy that wrote this letter, his name was Paul, the Apostle Paul. I believe what he is uh, hinting at here is this image of baptism Okay, because of the language that he uses. So uh, all, of, all of you watching this are probably familiar with the practice of baptism. At our church, and in fact, uh, every Christian, everyone who has become a Christian, for the most part, uh, from the time of Jesus up until now, all across the world, every church has practiced this ritual that we describe, this ceremony that we call baptism. All right? And in the ancient church, in the early church, they were very, uh, they were very meticulous about how they did this. Uh, usually what they would do is someone would, who was a new Christian would come up with, with old garments, an old robe on them. And they would take that old robe off, and they would step down into the water. And then the, the, the minister or whoever it was would baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and raise them and declare that they are now resurrected, like Jesus, into new life. And then as they stepped out of the water, someone would provide them, some kind of per, uh, another Christian would provide them with a new garment, a new robe, and they would put that new robe on. And what it was symbolizing is that they are leaving their old self, and they're becoming a new person. They're resurrecting with Jesus. Their old self is dying. It's being buried. And now they are being resurrected to a new self, a new life, and they are putting on a new self. And I believe that's the imagery that he's getting at when he talks about putting to death the old self, putting off, and then putting on, and then being resurrected. And I, I think that's the imagery that he is getting at in this text. So we put to death obsessions, in other words, that bend us further. And we rid ourselves of behavior that bends our relationships. We're going to get to that because there's five vices, uh, five more vices that ruin our relationship. And then he begins to talk about five things that we are to put on. So that's the structure of what happens in this text. And then later, of course, we're able to put on new habits. But look at this verse with me. Again, he says, put to death, to kill or mortify, put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, your old self, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, let me just stop and say that this is a pretty serious list. So as I walk through this, I recognize this isn't really easy to hear. It's not easy to talk about. Uh, this is a pretty serious list. He talks about uh, these sexual sins of immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires. And then he tacks on greed because it's a form of idolatry. We'll talk about idolatry in just a minute. It's also paired with a very serious command. Uh, he doesn't say, you know, try not to do this, or I discourage you from doing this, or, you know, try to do things differently. No, he says, put to death. Kill this stuff. It's, it, I mean, it's a serious list and a pretty, pretty serious command that goes with it. Uh, so I, I want to point out a couple of words that are in here, the word uh, wrath and also the word idolatry. I'll talk about those. But uh, just real quick, we are going to talk about these sexual sins for a couple of minutes. Uh, if you have kids in the room, uh, I'm, I'm going to do it as tastefully as I can, but if you have kids in the room, just be aware that you know, depending on how old they are, you might want them to wear headphones or head to a different room for a couple of minutes. But let me talk about this word wrath that comes up in here. Uh, you know, when I read this, for some reason, my mind instantly goes to, does this mean that 
God's up in a cloud somewhere holding a lightning bolt. And if I, if I do one of these sexual sins uh, or, or I have greed in my life, he's going to strike me. And that means my truck's going to wreck or I'm going to lose my job or I'm going to catch COVID or something. I mean, is he, he going to like punish me? Is, is, the wrath of, is he just waiting there with a lightning bolt to strike wrath on me? I, I, I don't think that's what he's getting at. He doesn't elaborate it much in this text, but the same person, Paul, who wrote Colossians, also wrote the letter of Romans. And in Romans chapter 1, he, he really unpacks the wrath of God, and he describes it as natural consequences. Okay, So the things that honor God are ultimately the things that are good for me and good for humanity. The things that uh, dishonor God are ultimately things that are, are, are bad for me and bad for the rest of humanity. Okay, and so he describes that if I continue in these patterns that are against God's design, they're against what honor God, it, it is, there's natural consequences that begin to break down. I'm given over to my own passions is the language used in Romans 1. And that also leads us to this next word, this word idolatry. Okay? Uh, basically, idolatry is worshiping something or someone in place of God. Uh, and I don't think that the reason God hates idolatry so much is just because he's, he's jealous or, man, I don't want them worshiping that. I want them worshiping me. This isn't, I, I don't think that's really the heart behind why God speaks so strongly throughout the Bible about idolatry. The big problem with idolatry is that you and I, when we practice idolatry, when we worship something besides God or someone besides God or worship ourselves over God and treat ourselves as more important than God, what happens is we end up becoming what we worship. We've been made in the image of God, meaning that we reflect God. But when I become consumed or obsessed with other things, I end up reflecting those things. I end up bending further. Again, there are natural consequences that come with idolatry. And so these sexual sins and this greed, it, it turns us into a person that we don't want to be, into a person that is unfit to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And so that's what he's getting at when he speaks of the wrath of God and idolatry in this text. So once again, he's saying put to death these habits. Because if you don't kill these habits, there will be natural consequences. Put to death these habits because your patterns of sin will eventually consume you. If we don't kill these habits, they will kill us. In other words, once again, we are a bent people. I think it's up here. We are a bent people. And if we continue bending, we will eventually break. That's why we need to put to death these things. Okay? Now, once again, he uses these five vices. Let me just put them up here. And so let's walk through these uh, briefly. So the first one is sexual immorality. Basically, that's a catch-all word for all kinds of sexual sin. And so Paul uses this word uh, in different ways throughout his letter. He uses it to describe uh, just lack of self-control in, in a sexual way. He uses it to talk about uh, incest. He uses it for prostitution, all sex outside of marriage. It's, it's the Greek word porneo, which is, uh, of course, where we get the English word pornography, where we get that from. So it's really a, a catch-all word to describe any kind of fornication that goes outside of God's design for our, sexual, our sexuality, our sexual desires, and so forth. The next word is impurity, which means anything vile or gross that we might desire. Uh, lust is a word that we're pretty familiar with, of course. Uh, it means strong sexual desires, passions that are self-serving. Uh, I think the heart behind lust is that I'm, I look at someone else and uh, I, I make some kind of decision in my mind that their body or, or whatever is, is really for my consumption, and, and I'm objectifying them in a way that is self-serving and not loving of others. So I think that's the heart behind what is meant by lust. Evil desires uh, simply means to crave something that is forbidden. And then, of course, greed is, is when I, I, I'm insatiable. I, I, can't, I never have enough. I'm, I cannot be satisfied. Uh, what I think is important when we look at this list is that 
Uh, every one of us watching this, every one of us in the church, uh, Hershey Free Church, we all feel a pull in some way to these sexual desires, these uh, improper sexual drives, okay? And so some of you watching this, some people in our church struggle with diagnosed sexual disorders, uh, fetishes or uh, attractions to objects or sexual attractions that are not normal, cross-dressing, sadism, which is uh, an attraction to harming or humiliating someone else, Uh, serious conditions such as necrophilia or pedophilia. In fact, I just learned this last week that the APA estimates that 3 to 5% of men struggle in some way with pedophilia. And what I'm getting at is it would be foolish for me to assume or any of us to assume that those of our brothers and sisters who worship with us at Hershey Free, oh, that's not an issue here. That's not something. No, our brothers and sisters in Christ sitting with us here at Hershey Free Church have these struggles and have these desires and have this struggle that they go through in which we are putting to death these habits. Some of you right here watching right now have struggled with homosexuality, thoughts of bisexuality, gender dysphoria, which is the idea of feeling trapped inside of the wrong body. Uh, and again, just because we are Christians or church-going people doesn't mean that we don't struggle with these sort of things. This is, this is something that all humanity struggles with. And to make a decision to become a Christian means that we are also making a decision that we, we have to wrestle through our desires and putting off our old self and becoming a new self. At the very least, all of us struggle at some point with lust and sexual desires that are not appropriate or geared in the right way. We are a bent people once again, and if we continue bending, we will eventually break. Now, with all that said, I think it's important for us to point out verse 7. It's easy to read through verse 7 and just, just kind of pass on and, and keep going, but, but this, is, this is so crucial for us. Look at this. Paul says, after writing the vices, he says, You used to walk in these ways, in the life that you once lived. And I want you to please understand that the society that Paul was in, the society and, and, and culture that the church of Colossae was in in, first, in the first century world within uh, the Roman context there was uh, a highly sexualized culture. Okay? It was very normal to see pederasty, bisexuality, extramarital affairs, especially among men. This was, this was quite normal, not even necessarily frowned upon for these kind of practices to happen. And so when Paul writes this verse, hey, you used to walk in these ways. Yeah, I want you to hear me clearly. He is not saying that, look, I know you used to struggle with lust, but now you're a Christian. That's a part of your past. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, listen, I know that some of you listening to me you were taken advantage of as a teenager or whatever the case is, and that deeply affects you to this day. It affects your orientation. It affects everything. About, I, I know this happened to you before. He's saying, look, I know that you used to Before you became a Christian, you used to take advantage of your slaves in a sexual way. I know that this used to be your lifestyle. I know that you have had several sexual partners, even after marriage. I know this is the case with you. This is the way you used to. This is your old self. And now, as a church, we are going through this process of putting to death these old habits, these old affections, these old loves, these old ways of we are putting to death our old self. That that is what he is meaning by this. That was your old way of life. And there are certain lifestyles that are incompatible with being a Christian that we need to put to death and put on a new self. Okay? Now, I just want to say one more thing before we move on. I know that some of you are very concerned about where our country is, where our nation is regarding these issues in America. All right? Hey, within a couple, within a few generations, just a few generations ago, sex outside of marriage became very normal. I also recognize that a few years ago, gay marriage became legalized. And now bisexual, bisexuality and transgenderism is becoming very normal. What I want us to realize from verse 7 is that this is nothing new. The Christians in Paul's day were going through these same things. And really what their struggle was is, is not 
hey, let's fight against culture and do this kind of, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but, but that really isn't the heart behind this passage. The heart behind this passage is if you make a decision to follow Christ, you're making other decisions as well, a decision to live in a different way. I, I know culture's doing that. that, that they're going to do that. If you're deciding to follow Christ, this is the pattern that we live by. We put to death these things and put on a new self. Okay? So I hope that that makes sense. Now, moving on here, I, I want us to point out one thing. Uh, how do we put to death these things? We are a bent people, and if we continue to bend, we will eventually break. So how do we put this stuff to death? Well, I've already revealed it in the, the, pat, the, the, the words behind me here. I believe that the only way to kill off our old bent self is to starve it. And here's what I mean by that. I starve my lust by refusing to feed my eyes with pornography or whatever uh, it is that I'm feeding my eyes with. I starve my body by forcing myself to delay instant gratification. I can starve my tendency to view women or other people as objects by seeing them as daughters of God, as sons of God. The only way to kill off our bent self is to starve it. And I know that some of you have struggled with these attractions and obsessions for years, and you can't just snap your fingers and be rid of it and just just be different and and just pray your affections away. I I realize it's not that simple. In fact, if you go back to chapter 2, Paul uh, really points out legalists that were in the church who were just saying, you know, do not touch, do not feel, you know, just, just, oh, just stop it. And he's, I think he's, I think he's stepping back and stepping in at this point and saying, I realize it doesn't work that way. You don't just snap your fingers and I'm a Christian now. I don't struggle with this. No, this, there's this process of starving ourselves of our old self and feeding our new self, putting off our old self and putting on our new self. We are bent people, and if we keep bending, bending, we will eventually break. The only way to kill our bent self is to starve it. And so I starve my sinful habits by replacing them with righteous habits. I starve my love for things by replacing it for a love for people. I starve my love for self by replacing it with a love for God. I starve my, my habit of greed by replacing it with other habits, such as being generous or giving 10% of my income to the church. Right? I, I, I starve out this by practicing this. And I think that's why he harps on the word practice. He's saying you're putting aside these evil practices because practices turn into habits. And those habits affect our desires. And those desires is what really turns us into a new person with new passions and with new uh, attractions. Okay. Now, going back to Aristotle, uh, he, he was a famous philosopher you've all heard of who actually lived before Paul, so Paul was familiar with some of the things that he wrote about. He actually referred to these, putting, to these virtues and vices as habits. And so here's something he says in one of his books. A habit, I say, is a long time training, my friend, and this becomes men's nature in the end. In other words, by starving and replacing, we are training ourselves to hate what is evil and love what is good. By starting new habits, I am putting to death my old habits. Okay? So he leaves these five vices that we talked about, and he moves on to five more vices. Okay? So I'm going to read this text here. But now, you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices. That's where we get into the habit language that I'm using. And have put on the new self which is being renewed. You're being shaped in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. So he moves away from these things that begin to kill us down that we must kill off and he begins to talk about things that kill your relationships with other people. So here's a question that I found myself asking when I read this. Because, you know, I, I have times where, where rage and malice and slander want to come out and I want to tear somebody down with my words and I, I, all of us do this. Why do we do this? I would argue that the reason that we struggle with these, these uh, vices here of slander and filthy language and rage and malice and stuff is because 
of love. It's because of love. We have love in the wrong order is what I'm getting at here. The issue is that I love myself more than others when I practice this. And so I love my stuff. I love my amenities. I love my privileges. I love my routines more than the other people in my life. And that is why I treat people sometimes with anger, with rage, with malice, with filthy language, with lying, so that I can get my... I, I, have, I have love. I love, but I'm loving, the, <laughs> I'm loving the wrong person, the wrong thing, more than what I should love. Okay? That's what's happening here. And so here's a good quote that I think we can leave. This is from uh, David Noggle's book, Reordered Love, Reordered Lives. He said, Our faculties of desire can never be destroyed and shouldn't be, but they can be redirected. As when one tastes, one tastes supplants another. It's like trading steak for hamburger, is what he says. And taking my love for myself and turning it into other people. And so when I became a Christian, the Holy Spirit began to shape me in a different way. He wants to unbend me by killing my old self and redirecting my love towards him and towards others. And that is what, is what creates in me a life hidden in Christ. And the only way to do this is to kill off my bent self by starving it. I starve my temper by learning to think before I speak. I starve my jealousy by wanting what is best for others. I starve my slander by praying for others. I starve my tendency to lie by looking at the, that, the damage that that lie discovers. Okay? So once again, let me point us to this. This is what I really want you to walk away with, what I really want us to remember from this. When we make a decision to live differently, we are actually making a series of decisions. And a series of decisions is actually a practice of forming new habits. And new habits redirect my love from my old self towards my new self. And a shaping of a new self means that I am shaping a new identity, a life hidden in Christ. Let me return now to this book, Paralandra. This is another edition, but the same book, Paralandra, by C.S. Lewis. Earlier, I introduced you to this, this world of paradise and this, this green lady who had, uh, who had no concept for death and sin and wrong and evil and, and, and wrongdoing and, and, and pain, and she, she, had, she had no concept for this. And so the only way that she could describe the people of earth in her own way was to say that they are bent people. Something is bent inside of them that causes them to treat one another and to treat themselves in a certain way. Now, I didn't tell you this earlier, but the most confusing thing for the Green Lady was when the main character of the book begins to describe what mediation and what lawsuits look like. In other words, he, he begins to describe that there are times where one bent person does something so heinous to another bent person that the two of them have to go to a third bent person to help them figure out how to resolve their issues. And she was just blown by the, You're saying a bent person gets upset at a bent person and has to go to a third bent person to work out there. It, it, was, it was just so confusing that people on earth actually act in this way. And what is implied here by Lewis, I believe, is that we are all bent people. And if we continue bending, we will eventually snap and run into issues that are as, as absurd as that, what I just described. The only way to kill off our old bent self is to starve it. So here's uh, two questions I want to leave you with today. First one is this. What bent behavior do you need to have shaped by the Holy Spirit? Making a decision to follow Jesus is a decision to live a very a series of decisions to live a very different lifestyle. And this new lifestyle means we have to kill off our old loves and develop new love. So what inside of you needs to be starved? Here's a second question, and this is one that I don't like to ask myself, so I apologize ahead of time for making you ask it. A harder question. What will you be like in five years or in ten years? or in 15, or in 20 years, what will you be like in the years to come if you do not starve off your old self? What are you going to be like if you do not actually put this into practice? 
What kind of person do you want to be? What do you want your peers, your kids, your grandkids to see in you? Do you want to be fit for God's kingdom or simply accept that God's forgiven your sins and I don't really want him to shape me? What? That's the other question that I want to leave you with today. And lastly, I also want to leave you with this challenge. We've been encouraging throughout the study of Colossians for us to practice praying Scripture. And so as, I, as, as, we, as the screen goes black, I'd encourage you to take 60 seconds and do this. You can start like this. Hey, Father, I am bent, but you are shaping me into my new self. Then you can move into confessing your sins. I confess that I have passions that need to be put to death. I have problems with my speech that need to be put off, so on and so forth. And then ask for renewal. Father, would you empower me to put on my new self and bear your image? I encourage you to take 60 seconds at the end of this and just pray that scripture together. And with that said, I just wanted to remind you that when the screen goes black, church is not over and you are not dismissed. Instead, you are being sent. You're being sent to starve your old self and to put on a new self. You're being sent to live a life that is shaped by the Holy Spirit. You are not dismissed. You are sent. Thank you.